Hey mamas, welcome to the Being Mother Hustler podcast. I'm your host mother hustler, Kareen Mills. I'm a mama of two boys, founder of a tribe called Mother Hustler Nation, co-founder of the Game Changers Global Network, an insurance professional turned lifestyle entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and author. Each and every week, I'm bringing you stories and thoughts from mom entrepreneurs who will inspire you to take massive, imperfect action, unapologetically chase your dreams, and eradicate your excuses so you can quit treating your business like a hobby and turn your side hustle into full-time income. I know being mother hustler is not easy, but sisters, we are making it happen even in this beautiful mess. Thank you so much for being present with me today. Now let's go mother the world. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another episode. My name is Kareen Mills. I am here today to talk about my kids, my boys. I have two boys, one of which is the oldest who does not have common sense for the life of him. The other is the youngest, Taylor, who has a ton of common sense, but he doesn't like school as much as the other one. So I am here today to talk to you about the opportunity that I had with my kids this morning to kind of coach both of them because you can't just coach one, right? Because you have to be fair. And as a parent, like I'm not the, I'm not a perfect, I'm a good mother, but I'm not a perfect mother. And so there are moments in our conversation with my children where I say, gosh, you just don't have common sense, which is really a bad thing. And sometimes I, I catch myself saying that, and then I switch it into more, more like a coaching opportunity and a coaching conversation with my kids versus just telling them what they don't have and appreciating what they actually have in order to operate in this life. And so <clears throat> the cool part is, I, I read this daily devotion. So you guys, I read this daily devotion every single day as part of my morning routine. And it is written by Joyce Meyer. She's a uh, religious writer or author, and I think she's a pastor. And it's funny because these daily devotions have like a title and then it has a scripture and then it has like her own summary underneath it. And somehow, some way, every single day that I read this daily devotion, it always finds its way home, sometimes sooner rather than later, and sometimes like three days after. And I remember, oh my gosh, I read that devotion. And then I go back to the devotion that I read three days ago. So I want to share the devotion today because what's happening was the opportunity that I have to coach my kids was very much related to the daily devotion for January 14 that I read today. So the devotion says title, it takes a team. Two are better than one because they have a good, more satisfying reward for their labor. For if they fail, 
or if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. And then it goes on to say that in, in 1867, John Rubling had a vision of a passion and a passion to do something experts said it could not be done. Build a bridge from Manhattan to Brooklyn in New York City. No one believed it could be done, but Rubling and his son Washington, a young engineer, persevered. The Rublings hired their crew and finally got to work on John's dream. Only a few months into the project, a worksite accident took John's life. But the project continued with Washington, the son, as its leader. Washington had two things, in, or three years later, Washington was severely injured. He was unable to talk, he was unable to walk, or even move most of his body, but his mind was sharp, and his dream of building the bridge that was a dream for both of him and his father still burned in his heart. Washington had two things in his favor one finger that still works, and a wife who loved him. Rubling and his wife figured out a way to communicate and a communication system was born in which he tapped with his one finger on her arm and for 11 years, Washington tapped out messages and instructions for the bridge until it was finally complete. Washington Rubling needed a dependable team of people to achieve his dream. He needed his father, his crew, and his wife. We need other people too. We can love, support, help, and encourage them, and they can do the same for us. Love others today. Who do you need on your team in your life? And who needs you on their team? So with that said, I use this as a foundation to coach my kids in the car for roughly about 20 minutes and the conversation went on and on. Caden um, is supposed to do a chore in the morning that because I didn't tell him and reminded him to do it, he ended up missing out on it and he ended up not doing it because mom have been sick all week last week and he thought, oh, maybe she's still sick this week without even asking me or kind of investigating if he should do his regular routine in the morning before we go to school. He didn't do it. So when we got in the car and I got in the car, I asked him, did you do the following? And he said, oh, I didn't. And so I was about to go into a mode of, look, dude, these has to be done every single day. I don't know how many times I have to tell you and I don't know how many times. And then it, I was going to go into a mode of you just don't have common sense. But then I remember this daily devotion. And so I switched up the way that I spoke to my kids and I told Caden, I said, Caden, look, I know you don't have common sense yet, but that's not, that's not to say that you cannot develop your common sense. Now you may not have been born with it, but you can practice it. It's gonna take you work to get it and practice it because God is so wonderful and awesome. He, he designed every single one of us, like every human being imperfectly. We were designed 
imperfectly so we can depend on each other. We are no man's, no man is an island. And the way that he designed us as human beings is that we can never be alone. I mean, if you're lonely, you are going to be miserable. You have to have the interaction with other human beings and you cannot pursue your dream or achieve your dream without the help of others. So the way that he designed you, even our family members, is that you had to have a weakness in order for me as your mother because I was gifted you as my son and you were gifted me as your mother. So we can then help each other because it makes us all happy as a human being when we have a connection, when we have an interaction. Now, that's not to say that you, um, you can never have common sense. You will have common sense because you and I are a lot alike. Guys, can you believe it? I don't have common sense. And this is what I told my kids. I don't have common sense, but here's what I have. I have the smarts to know that I don't have it. And because I know I don't have it, I use systems. Let me repeat. I use systems in order to uh, learn I mean, to be organized. I have to use systems in order to organize myself because if I don't have common sense, nothing gets done if I don't depend on systems. And so I suggested to him that the system you might, and you have to use the system, and this applies, and I'm sharing this with you guys because this applies to businesses as well, that in order for you to, for a system to work, it has to work for you so that my system that works for me may not work for my son. And so I just merely suggested that maybe he should either, since he can't put it in um, on a checklist in his brain because of the fact that he's just not, I said, you're just not wired to have it, but you can practice it. And the way that you can practice it is you can use a system and you'll get good at it. And that's how I got good at getting things done because I know that I don't have common sense, but I have learned how to have it through following a specific system. And so I suggested to my kid, my son, to maybe write it down on a piece of paper, the morning routine that he has to do for us to be able to complete our morning. And so he was really happy. And then the other son, I said, you know, you might be listening there and you think that, oh, I'm safe and go, Taylor, you also, you know, we were all built and designed by God to have a weakness and a strength so that we can all help each other um, to figure it out together. So guys, I just want to leave you with that today because I think it's so important that sometimes we get so authoritative. Oh, my Filipino tongue is on the way. Um, with our kids and we think we are this person of superpower because we're, we think we're above them, we're older than them. But sometimes you kinda, and again, that's a practice for me too, to learn how to put breaks on that because kids really do wanna be treated and talked to like adults. They don't wanna be treated like a small person, if that makes sense. They don't wanna be told what to do like we don't want to be told what to do. They maybe like some adults like structure, like we want structure. 
And so you have to provide your kids instead of telling them. And I have to say that I am guilty of that. I'm not saying and preaching this um, from a place of I'm better than anybody else, but I'm preaching this from a place of trust me, I'm guilty as charged as well. And so, um, yeah, I mean, try to take the opportunity to have more of a dialogue and a conversation and really treat your children like they are a part of your team because they are. And that's what I told my kids. You guys are a part of my team. And when you look at a team and one team member isn't doing their job, then the whole team falls apart. And so we all have to do our part in the family because we are a team, we are a unit and we have to function that way. Isn't that, and I told my kids, isn't that amazing how God just knows exactly what to do so that we can unite. And so anyways, guys, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in a five-star review on my podcast, because I also use this on my podcast being mother hustler um, would be greatly appreciated by the whole entire mother hustler nation community, not just myself, because we are here to build communities life can be bigger than ourselves. So we have to uh, remove ourselves from the equation. We have to get ourselves out of the way and we can't stand in the way. Before I leave here and I end this um, episode, I just wanna say hello to everybody that's tuned in and give you all a shout out. So bear with me, I'm gonna go through everybody. Hey Carrie, I've got Bobby, what's up Bobby? Paul, Janine, Latasha. Tammy, Jeffrey, and there was another person there. But guys, thank you so much for being here and present with me today. I so appreciate your support. If you have not listened to my podcast, hey, Devin, if you have not listened to my podcast, Being Mother Hustler, please do. And if you do, after you um, listen, write a review and let me know what you think tag me on social media and let me know what you think about whatever episode you've listened to the way that the format of my podcast works is it's called being mother hustler and i have mother hustlers as guests for about 12 episodes every season and then the last episode of every season is a man of impact because what i want to do is i want to listen what a good parenting can do to a man. I want to listen, what kind of impact did their mother make on them to mold them into becoming the man that they are. And so um, it's, it's just been an amazing journey. And I want to thank all of you for being here, for being a part of it, for continuing to listen every single week. Uh, my commitment to you for 2019 is to do a solo episode I am double dipping on this episode because I use it for my Facebook Live and I also use it for my podcasts as a solo episode so that I can release two episodes every single week. With that, give, serve, live and love and don't forget to love no matter what because it always wins. Have an awesome week, you guys. All right, sisters, thank you so much for listening and always supporting the Being Mother Hustler podcast every single episode, every single week. I know most of you take screenshots of these episodes and share it all over your social media outlets. 
And for some of you that's left us a five-star review, from the bottom of my heart, I'm so super grateful for you. Make sure you follow us on Spotify and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And it would mean the world to the entire Mother Hustler Nation community if you wrote us a five-star review. Because I'm telling you, this is not about me. This is not about you. It's about all of us in the community inspiring each other, learning from each other, and not allowing each other to make any excuses to chase our dreams. I swear I read those reviews and it fuels me to my core, makes me cry for great reasons, so I so look forward to reading those reviews. As always, sisters, don't forget to give, serve, live, and love. Have a mother husband day. Cute blonde girl in the school and they didn't like it. That it like your mom is commendable for doing that. Like coming every recess. Of course she was a homemaker. She didn't have to go anywhere other than probably hustling at home and cleaning and doing all that. But that you have a mother hustler on your on your side and that is like I can't imagine I will go possessed if my kids get beat up in school it was a horrible time yeah wow what advice can you give kids that are in around that bullying yeah and around that age because that's a tough Eighth grade is a tough age. It's tough, but you know what? And I, my, I mean, I did have kids really late, so I do have, you know, college age kids now, but um, I, I had no idea the bullying that goes on right now. It is ridiculous at that age. Yep. It is apps. you know, I don't know what advice I would give. I, you know, it's all about the foundation at home and, the ethics and everything you instill in your kids so that they can handle something like that. I'm guessing I don't even know how to do it. It's tough because we're not just mother hustling at home. We're hustling at work. We have both career and you can't just drop everything and go be with your child. So you, you, you really have to train them how to, I think, yeah, respond and handle the situation. I think open communication is the biggest training because now we're getting into this, you know, kid suicide business and uh, yeah. it's, that's horrible too. So communication is key. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. Talk about your mom because I already like her. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's hard for me. My mom died last year. Um, um, so it's tough because my mom was, uh, my dad was our rock and my mom was our emotional support hundred percent. Mm. through everything. So uh, my mom had dementia. And so we really lost her three years before she died last year. Um, So that was extremely painful going through that because my mom was here, but not here. Wow. Um, So that, that was super tough, but my mom uh, and my personality was nothing alike. Um, She was very, she was your very typical wife from Mm -hmm. the old days, you know, that, Mm -hmm. uh, the husband was the boss mm-hmm. and um, she just took care of the kids and the home and very laid back. Um, she had an amazing laugh. 
um, she was the most incredible and she had a rough upbringing and childhood. So um, she was the most amazing woman that I know. Wow. What, what values did you carry on with you that you picked up from your mother? God, she would, you know, even though she went through a horrible upbringing, um, horrible, she was just always so positive and just so giving to anybody. And that's probably where I got the, the enjoying giving from. And she was just so helpful and there and present anytime any of us kids needed it. Anytime. Wow. Well, I used, I always tell my mother, cause there's about six of us. And I always say, mom, I don't know how you did it, but if I could be half the mom that you were, I'll be okay. You know, I'll be, I'll be good because man, they did a lot back in the days. And like you said, I almost call it like a enslaving to the husband. It's not that severe, but I almost like, it's almost like that, you know, the, the way that I'm seeing growing up and I talk about it at the brunch, but I, I saw it as more of like, like, I don't want to be like my mom. It's, it, it was a sad, it's a sad learning that I got from that, but on the positive side, but I want to be as great of a mother like my mom. I and totally I, get that. Yeah. <clears throat> it, there's, there's a couple sides of the coin that's like, oh, I don't, I'm not, I, and when I was a teenager, I used to always tell my mom, I'm never going to be like you. You let oh, that. I did that too. I was horrible. Yeah. I wish I could be just like her. I mean, I, you know, I am pretty forward and type A and she was not, she was very type B and laid back, but just to have those giving attributes just is amazing. Serving, ser always serving, always everybody else first. So how did you get to Vancouver, Washington from all those moving? I know my dad got transferred here in the ninth grade. So again. Um, yeah, again, and that was the last one. So thank goodness, because it was awesome. So yeah, I, I um, spent my high school years in Oregon City. So it was good. And we ended up in Vancouver because my dad had an early, early retirement package. And so the no tax state. So that's how we ended up here. And I've been here for many, many years. So you've been in real estate for 15 years. Right. In a couple of weeks, it'll be 15 years. Yeah. Before that. So that's 15 years. That's 2013 was when you started. No. 2004. Four when you started. Mm -hmm. What's, what did you do before that? Um, I did a few things and I didn't really like any of them, to be honest. So I was a really good typist, actually typewriter. I know, funny. I keep aging myself, huh? I type um, really good because of it. Well, I played the piano. And so I was a really fast typer in high school. Uh -huh. And I started working part-time in office work as secretaries in high school. Um, I go to school part-time and work part-time as a secretary, like in a law firm even. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, I had always had secretarial type jobs. And I never liked them. Wow. Just normal. And probably because I am not one that could be put in a box as we figured out um, <laughs> with a normal job. Um, so I did that. And then um, I thought I wanted to be a nurse and I hated college so bad. I dropped out. So no nurse. And um, then 
I ended up at the end as uh, working in human resources wow. for a legacy health system in Portland. And I kind of liked that, but it was still an office job. And then I moved to benefit specialists mm. and um, that office job thing just did not fit me. Yep. I, I wish I would have found this career a lot earlier. I've been there. So how did you get introduced to becoming a realtor and going into real estate? So my story is, is uh, my husband at the time and I, he got transferred um, to Kaiser, Oregon. And so I had, I think, so four kids, but two where they thought they weren't going to have kids and then they have another two because they wanted more. But long story short, they're teenagers, you know, they're like, you know what, we haven't gone fishing before or for a long time. And that's what we used to do when we didn't have all these things. We didn't have money. We didn't have the boat. We didn't have nice cars. We didn't have a house. We lived in a town home or an apartment or something. We would go just go drive to the river and go fishing, like stand on the, on the beach and fish. And so, you know what? The boat is fine. Um, we'll get it fixed. It's just something, you know, nothing to worry about, but it stressed them out. Mm-hmm. You know, because you start running the numbers in your head. Oh, how much is this going to cost? So they go um, on a fishing um, just on the side of the river. And their kids was like, wow, we have not done this in so long. This was some of the greatest memories I had. They're teenage kids. And then there was another time where they went on like a dollar burger trip locally. And their kids, mom, remember when we used to split um you know, like they remember these things. She says like, Kareen, they don't ever remember the things where maybe we bought them something big. They always remember that, that time, the quality time, even when you split a burger, a dollar burger and a dollar fries. I love it. If if I could just interject a thought, um, sharing with you a memory yesterday driving home with my daughter she goes mom she's helping in fifth grade she's in eighth i'm sorry she's helping in kindergarten they're five and uh she's a ta so she goes over at the end of school and helps she goes guess what we did today we didn't do anything fancy i'm like what did you do she goes oh all the kids went outside and we you know like when we were little we used to trace the leaves and we'd make the imprint on the paper i'm like yeah she goes i didn't do that and i go oh okay well what did you do and she said i went around and i collected leaves and she looks at me with this little wink. And I said, like you used to when you were little. And she goes, yes. And she remembered. So that age, when all that started, we would go out and find rocks and find leaves. She used to love fall when the leaves would fall and she'd get all different sizes. And she looks at me and she goes, mom, I got all different sizes. Wow. That was special to her. And these are the things we would take walks. We would go camping because we went on like Craigslist and found everybody getting rid of their camping equipment and got it for really expensive. And that's what we did with the kids. It wasn't expensive to go tent camping. We preferred that so much more. We had the fifth wheel and the quads. We had all that stuff and it was great memories too. But even to this day, they still want to go camping. Like it's the simple things. And so thank you for sharing that because it, it just brought that around to me. It's like, now they remember going on walks, picking up leaves, looking at trees and, is so beautiful. And, you know, I, I visualize her still, she's 13 and I visualize her as that three-year-old, something etched in my mind at that moment, because that's when everything changed for us. I was home full-time. I'd never been home full-time. I'd always raised 
my older daughter in the office with this. And so I was taking her to school. She'd have her time at school. And Jenna and I had that, that little pocket of just mm-hmm. being mom and daughter. And it was very short-lived, um, but very special. So for her to bring yeah. that around, I'm like, oh, um, for her to bring that wow. back around. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's those little stuff, little things that we do with them that really impacts them the most. And, and I'm going to quote Annabelle again, the subtle things, because we think as parents, you know, we never had that before. We never had that before. I never had a big house before. So I want to give my kids everything I never had, right. which is such a wrong perspective because like for me, I grew up in the third world, the Philippines. And, and the reason that I'm such a driven person is because I never had a lot. I mean, I, there's six of us kids and I always wore my sister's hand-me-downs. We always share shoes. We always share everything. And in Christmas, I would pick either a top, a bottom, or a shoe. And there's three sisters. So we would all strategize, say, okay, you take the top, you take the bottom, you take the shoe, and then we'll just, you know, mix and match everything. Right. But, um, but those are the moments that really defined who I become now. And I feel like if I did the opposite of that and not teach my kids that value, that they're going to turn out the opposite of me because I'm teaching them the opposite of what I was taught. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, but we want to give them everything, which is fine and dandy. And, and I want to give my kids everything I could in my power, but I also want to make sure that they appreciate it and that they, they know the values that I was taught because it shaped me of who I've become, you know, today. And, and, you know, poverty is, such a great teacher and you know that um when you lose everything and you lose a lot it's it's, what's important you know yes losing teaches you more than winning although winning is fun but um winning is fleeting you know it's not it's it's never permanent you can always be replaced someone else could always win yeah in fact that need to and half uh the wants versus the needs like it became obviously really clear when you no longer have the income you had and, and the kids learned it. That would be one thing that we did impress upon them is really all the kids, you know, we go shopping. Can I have this? Can I have this? Can I have this? Like, do you want it or do you need it? And they'd have to really wow. think about it. And it, it was something we took and ran with as they got older and we impressed upon both of them, you know, as technology became more and more prevalent in their lives, like you need to raise the money to, to have that. So when you have your iPhone and your kids or your friends are like, oh, you have an iPhone, did your mom buy that? No, I bought that, you know, to give that value to them. And we've had, and I'm not, you know, everybody has their way of, of parenting with them. It was just the gift that we could give from having the experience um, and trying not much like what everything costs all the time. So yeah. they didn't have that deficit mindset either and I don't know you know we're still living through it and getting through it and we have those good moments and bad moments of experiencing what it means to them on that Um, but it drives them like my older daughter's 20 now and she likes to cover her expenses and my little daughter's 13 and she's starting to figure it out that wow that's that costs a lot but she always apologizes for asking so there is a little backlash Mm -hmm. from it because I'm so sorry or thank you so much for buying this like there's a little of that panic in it and mm. she was really little when we went through all that, where I had to say no, or we were just like going to shop for clothes that maybe were at the hand-me-down store or, you know, yeah. those kind of things. And she picked up what she picked yeah. up on it, yeah. you know, but she's grateful. And 
And I'm excited about that because they, they we just lived in some, they, they do and try your best either way. And they're still going to bring it in. They're going to make things mean just like we made things mean out of, you know, what our parents taught us or didn't teach us. And like I say, we only know what we know at the moment. And then once you know it, you can't look back, you can't go back. You know, yeah. it's like this spiritual and personal growth. Like once you're in it and know it, I just crave more of it and different ways to learn it for myself so I can continue to be better so I can be better for them. So I have tools to help them start off a little bit earlier than being 40 or 50 and figuring it all out, you know, but yes. I think there's something to be said about that journey. It's part of it. It's part of the hard knocks of life and, and learning who you are so you can make that choice at that moment. You know, do you crumble and fall or do you rise up? Yeah. And improve yourself. And that's the choice you have. So you talk about the parallel of your, you know, just like us, we were shaped by our parents. And then the way that our kids are shaped is by how we parent them. Talk to us about how your childhood was and your mom and your dad and all those guys that really helped you, you know, during your early stage in life and what you learned from them. Right. We, um, I don't remember a lot of being really little. I remember from 12 on. Mm -hmm. So even like my youngest daughter's age now. And the reason for that is my mom was sick and diagnosed with multiple sclerosis by the time I was around 11. And she probably was sick before that. And it just wasn't coming on as ongoing. Mm -hmm. Um, but by the time I was 12, she was in a wheelchair. She was wheelchair bound because it had started to uh, deteriorate and she would go in and out of remission and, and body functions, like she wouldn't be able to use her leg or then it would move and her arm and shoulder wouldn't move. And so it would kind of transfer through her body as it set in and as it settled in. So by the time I was mid-teens, she was fully in a wheelchair. Um, but her mental state was also affected. And some of the greatest gifts out of that adversity and the dynamic and the chaos of living with all that and going back to my, when I look at my inner child and where she's been the most hurt and having to kind of pull that emotion out mm -hmm. um, and reframe what I've made a lot of that mean has been powerful. But the gifts that I got from it was the strength in knowing that I was going to have to be the one to pick up the slack and learning mm -hmm. the skills to do so. And, you know, in my plight of trying to take it on and, and fix it and make it better for everybody, that became a really bad habit during life um, and a driving force. So there's always a yin and a yang with some of the identities and things that we come and create for ourselves. But um, I think the biggest gifts that she gave me was a love for my health because in a world that wasn't control in control, out of control as a teenage, young teenage girl, um, my way of fighting back with that um, was not eating. So I, I mm -hmm. damaged myself with anorexia and bulimia because I felt I can control something she couldn't. And wow. so we had this dynamic that really wasn't great growing up. And I resented her a lot, I think for getting sick, but for how she treated us all. And now when I look at it and think, what must that have been like for her, which was never considered at all growing up, how much painful she was 35 mm. when she was wheelchair bound, you know, wow. and and how much pain that must have been and no outlets or tools to deal with it. And my dad was an Italian prideful man who was, you know, we don't share our dirty laundry. We don't ask for help. We don't get help. And so that's how we lived and we didn't, and we did the best we could with, with how it went. And we still 
try to be close in this kind of dysfunction, right? But the greatest gift she gave me was taking care of my health. I wow. fell in love with a better way, you know, um, that, that wasn't it for me starving and, and throwing my food up. Um, and it led to a lifelong body image issue conflict for myself that I have been able to resolute here in the last couple of years by going deeper within, wow. but that love for health and wellness was also a driving force behind it. There was a better way. I didn't want for me, my family, my future family to mm -hmm have the excuse of not taking care of our, of our health mm. um, because I saw what it did. You know, I saw when my, the doctors would say, Hey, do this Joyce. And she would be like, no, I don't need to do that. And she would just numb it with drinking alcohol or my dad mm. would just avoid, you know, and he wouldn't do the things that made him feel good because she wasn't feeling good. So he didn't think mm. he deserved it. And the moments where he let me work with him and go to the gym and we would go and eat right, you know, they were chronically on a diet. So a lot of that kind of comes full circle, looking back and connecting those dots, but mm. knowing that there was a different choice, knowing there was a better way, there was that knowing probably in me that I wasn't even aware of back then that led me to where I'm at. And I wouldn't be coaching now. I wouldn't have gone into strength and conditioning coaching and being passionate about how we feed our body and how we take care of our stress and how we slow the mind down and then layering it even more into mindset work and how the brain works and helping my clients get through that stuck emotion. Like I smile. I, I think, <laughs> I think God every day for that because it was part of the plan. Yeah. It's necessary, right? It's, necessary. it's always necessary. Yeah. And you just don't figure it out when you're in it. It's hard nope. to figure it out when you're in the zone. Um, yeah. That's that's powerful. So that's what led you, you know, with all your, um, I, I wouldn't call failure a failure because oh, no. what, what happened to you guys in 2008 and to a lot of us was we got hurt financially because of the crash, right? It was such a big crash. Yeah. And it's, I always say failure is uh, feedback on steroids because from that it's, it becomes a feedback for you. Okay. I did this wrong. I did that wrong. How can I improve on it? How can I make sure I focus more on time with my kids instead of focusing on money? Like it makes you a better person period in a story. So okay. it gives you a lot of feedback. Um, where in that area were you starting to really embrace your, um, health coaching and what you really wanted to do in your career that got you here now? Oh, that moment of asking myself what I really wanted to do. Um, I had made a list and on that list was, you know, I, I grew up dancing and so I mm. danced uh, and have a, a teaching degree in dance, but I had dropped it to be a mom because that was a belief. So I went back to dance because that fills my soul and then I thought, what else do I want to do? And at that time, I'd been lifting weights, and I really, really liked the power of doing things you didn't know you could do before, even if it's a strong weight. And I never knew I'd like it. And um, I spent 10 years just absorbing everything. And I realized at that moment that I could do something different. I could become a coach, you know, and and I, at that moment, I thought of it, it wasn't the right time finishing up the responsibilities of the business. But a couple of years later, the opportunity came. So I took it. And for the next wow. three years, I was able to work with clients and teach classes. And I just loved it. I loved 
I love the gym space anyway, but just being able to help people kind of get past their mindset and transform and make that commitment. Um, but I knew it wasn't the full piece. I knew it wasn't forever. And I, again, that whole mindset piece came through. And as I started opening myself up to the writing and starting my blog and leading to the book and leading to speaking, like I had no idea that that would be a thing, <laughs> right? But they started to all merge and the possibility started being there and then people wanted to work with me and I'm like what what is that like oh it's coaching well I thought coaching was like physically no this is like you know on an emotional and, and intellectual level or whatnot and so I dove in and I I started learning all I could about what kind of coaching I wanted to do and that's when I realized it's like all everything we do is in the mindset everything is how we choose to do something and our perspective on how we interpret the rest of it. And I started studying more neurotransformational coaching. So it's more of getting out of the intellect and into the emotion and bringing all that up and, and tracing where the emotion starts to begin with, which triggers the fear, you know, around what stops us from doing things. And I've always been willing to dive into new opportunities and figure stuff out. That's been a real great way for me to hide from myself. Um, and as I started unlayering those, those pieces and realizing how it all connected so beautifully, um, that's the moment where I'm like, that's the coaching I want to do. I want to help, you know, if you have like a, an iceberg, you've got the surface level and everything underneath. It's why we do things and how we do things on the surface. And then the reason behind all of it's underneath. And if I can get in to a, a health and wellness space for people and help them figure out where those patterns are that repeat what they perceive as failure, which I agree with you is always feedback or where they need to tweak or work a little deeper. Mm -hmm. There's always a bigger meaning. Yeah. When things start to repeat in our lives or we, we consider them as, oh, I can't stick to a diet or I can't stick to a workout plan. There's a reason why. Yes. And it's either you're running from something or running towards something. Yep. And I, I just love being able to take that next layer and really make more permanent results for clients instead of just temporary results. Wow, that's amazing. So you're you're essentially finding the triggers so you can mm -hmm. control those triggers that are that are beneath the surface is yeah, and, the and root of it. How we best do that is by knowing what we've had to struggle with most, right? So that inner critic has been really huge for me from way back when not treating my body right, starving and, and then throwing up food and that body image and getting to know that you can get past that, like nothing ever goes away, but you have tools to make it better for you to manage where the baloney stories are and when it comes up and what's bringing mm. it up. And there's like this peace of mind that comes from it. And then adding in the spirituality and just allowing yourself to be and sit and not do as much and be as busy. It's like magic, you know? And I, and those moments where I used to live in anxiety and everything was like, ah, and now I'm just kind of like, it's all good. Like I've got yeah. control of my thoughts instead of they're running my life. And there's always something that levels that up again, which we're human. It's never, you know, it's not like a one-time fix and it's gone thing, mm -hmm. but you're better able to look at it from a different perspective and, and yeah. help yourself through it. Well, we're always evolving and things around us are always changing too. So mm -hmm. we have to learn how to adapt to it. And the only way to really adapt to it is just to embrace and dance with it. Like you talk about dance, you just have yeah. to dance with life and you know, when we talk about the flow of the energy, when you dance with the flow, it's like, imagine you being just taken by the energy without you being even doing anything. You know, it's, it's such a beautiful flow when you, when you begin to 
see those things and, and learn how to put yourself in that energy instead of you trying to push back on the energy. I think, I think it's all about being, learning Mm -hmm. to be in the now, be in yourself. You are that energy and realizing that everything else is just outside of it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me who's your ideal, um, clients, like who, who are you working with? Like the profile of the people that you're working with, do you only work with women? Uh, right now I've, I've only worked with women and I am opening to, you know, working with men who come across this, but I find there's so many women who are just stuck in that inner critic and the self-sabotage they didn't quite realize is happening um, and where that they can better their choices on that and get out of their way so they can go for those passions. And I've been finding my little, like my, my favorite little area is with women in their forties to fifties as, as their kids are growing, as mm-hmm. their teenagers are still here and there's values that we want to pass on to them. Women in this generation have such a awakening and we're shifting faster than anything we're transferring that to our little men. And I have two boys and, you know, I said to you, and there was, we had business or start something new or just kind of stuck in a, in a pattern of, I know I can do this, but I can't seem to get past here. And just not knowing what that is. Um, that's where I can come in and help, you know, ask the questions. I'm not giving answers. I'm helping them discover the answers that are already within them. Yes. The answers is in there somewhere in your stories, in everything, in everything that happens in your life. So tell me a favorite um, story about a client that, that had a breakthrough with you. Just like a a kindness, right? So I told my oldest about it, how teacher Gardner was super excited to see Taylor, the youngest. And I said, you know, you're changing the world, right? And he was like, what do you mean, mom? I said, if you made an impact on your teacher like that, even though that's just one person, you're going to change the world because of the ripple impact that you create, because that teacher has access to 24 different students. And if what you did, I don't know what you did,